I want to introduce you to a person. His name was August Landmesser. August was a German citizen at the height of Hitler's reign. And there's an infamous picture of August Landmesser because when this crowd is gathered and all these people are giving the Hail Hitler sign, there is August standing against the crowd, against evil, against the world system that was ruling at the time and refusing to bow down, making his own stand, even endangering his life. August Landmester was actually married to a Jewish woman who tragically was later killed in a concentration camp. And then August himself was forced into combat and killed on the battlefield. And even though he died, he died with his character. He died with his integrity, not falling to the system that was in place. Another really biblical example I see of this is that of Mordecai. In the late 70s, uh, Keith Green, a pretty famous Christian musician and songwriter, uh, launched his second album, and the album art cover was a tribute to Mordecai. It comes from Esther 3, 2, and it says, All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded it, but Mordecai, he refused to bow down or show him respect. Haman was an evil, wicked king, and Mordecai was like one of his right-hand men, and yet Mordecai chose to take a stand, to not bow down to the evil ways of Haman. I wonder if the same could be said of you and I. With all that we face in this world, all the evil that is out there, the world system at large, which just tries to lure us in, Are we keeping our faith, keeping our character, living in integrity, even if it might cost us something? Potentially, like it did for August Landmesser and his wife, their very lives. And I can't help but think as we walk through the book of Revelation, all the chaos, all the evil that is arising, that John has given this revelation into the future that speaks to something in the here and now, the here and now for us today, the here and now that he was sharing with these seven churches in the book of Revelation. And it's all meant to bring hope in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the evil, and to challenge us to not get swept away by the allure of the world. And it's not going to be easy sometimes to resist temptation, to stand up against trials. In fact, the the imagery that John is let into by this vision is provocative, to say the least. Look at it with me. Revelation chapter 17 is where we're going to mostly camp out today. And this angel is now announcing to John something else that is yet to come. And the angel says, come with me. And I will show you the judgment to come on the great prostitute who rules 
over many waters. He uses this derogatory term. And so the question becomes, well, what is he referring to? Who is this prostitute, this wayward soul? Well, in verse 5, we get a, a bitter, better understanding. It says a mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the Great also known as the mother of all prostitutes and obscenities of the world. How would you like that to be the tag next to your name? And yet what all this is referencing in this vision, there's so much symbolism going on here. And and John is being warned about the great and wicked powers of Babylon. Now the word Babylon comes from the word Babel. And if you know Old Testament history in the book of Genesis chapter 11, the people in that day have grown wicked. They've they've grown self-sufficient. They don't want to live under the rule and reign of God. And it says that they attempted to build a tower that would reach the heaven. It, it, It was like the people were trying to build something to show the world and to show God himself, we don't need you. We can make our own way into the heavens. That's what the word Babylon comes from. I love the way that Dr. Bill Mounts puts it in his commentary. He says, the prostitute is this great system of godlessness that leads people away from the worship of God and to their own destruction. What Babylon, what this prostitute represents is evil. And and a a worldly system that is so self-sufficient and leads people away from the one true God who deserves all of our worship and praise. And Jesus, he knew the temptation and the trials that we would face in this world. In fact, Jesus, as he was uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was even arrested and would then be led to the cross to give up his life for your sake and my sake, Jesus bows his knees and he prays. And this is what Jesus, of of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for his believers, which includes you and I that call Christ our Savior and Lord today, of all the things that he could have prayed, this is what he prays. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. I know there's a lot of old gospel songs that that talk about, you know, just kind of, this world's not my home, and let's escape this world, and we think that maybe that's the answer. And at the end of the book of Revelation, we're going to see that that is the escape. Yes, Jesus is going to return, and he's going to reestablish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. But until that day, God's purpose is not to take us out of the world. It's actually to keep us here in this world. That's why in, in, in the Gospels, uh, Matthew chapter 5 talks about us being salt and light. That we're supposed to make a difference. We're supposed to represent Jesus. We're, we're supposed to represent holiness and love and truth. In this sin-filled world that is so dark at times. And so Jesus prays, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. But that they would be kept safe from the evil one. 
And what we see in Revelation chapter 17 is the epitome of evil coming together in the image of this prostitute known as Babylon, this great city where all of this licentiousness and wrongness is coming out of. Uh, Daniel Aiken, in his commentary on the book of Revelation, <coughs> excuse me, he says it this way. He says, listen, the world is seductive, and it will attract you. So we read about this description in chapter 17 of this woman, Babylon, this alluring system of power and control. And look at how she's described. It says, this woman wore purple and scarlet clothing, and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. Like the outward appearance of this world system that is really evil at its core is attractive. And if we're not careful, all of us can be attracted, pulled in, lured in to this kind of world system. And it says that she wore purple, purple in that purple cloth in that day, represented great, great wealth. And not just wealth, but the, 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 the prestige that that wealth and then power that came with it. And so what, what John is witnessing in this description here is that this, this power that is there will allure people in and it will use money and riches and fame and power to draw us in. Look at how the description goes on. In her hand, she held a gold goblet, but full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. On the outside, this goblet was gold. It was beautiful. It was attractive. But did you see what it was filled with? All the obscenities and impurities of her immorality. In the book of Proverbs, it talks about a prostitute and it says, you know, she'll draw you in, but in the end, she'll lead you to death. And this is how, this is how John is catching this glimpse of this system there to draw us astray. This system that is, that is evil at its core, that, that stiff arms the God of creation, and says, no, we've got this on our own. And yet it's described with beauty, riches, power, gold, and yet filled with death itself. John's receiving a warning that he would share with the churches that, that we're reading into today. Now look what happens to John in this moment as he catches this vision. He says, I could see that she was drunk. She was drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. Just stop there for a minute. What John is saying is, I could tell she, she was full of herself and she was ruthless. Babylon was this, is, is this great power and in the future, it's going to go against all of God's people and says, in fact, it says she's drunk on the blood of God's holy people, people that had stood for Jesus. And then look what it says. John says, I stared at her in complete amazement. This is striking. 
John is being given this revelation from Jesus himself. This angel is speaking to him, telling about the future, giving him this vision to warn him. And it says that he stood and he was amazed. He stared at her. Remember, the world and its system is seductive. And it will attract us. And for a moment, it's like she caught John's eye and he just was staring in amazement. And then it says in verse 7, the angel asked, why are you so amazed? It's like the angel has to shake him and say, hey, John, don't look that way. Don't be drawn in. Don't be lured in by her beauty or the power or the riches. And man, isn't that the way it is today for you and I as well? It's so easy to be drawn in, attracted to all the stuff that is out there. And it can become our sole focus and we lose sight of Jesus himself. The angel says, why are you so amazed? I'll tell you the mystery of this woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns which she sits on. Now, here, the description of her, it's pointing to all the riches that she had. Remember the purple garment that she was wearing. And Jesus knew what a temptation riches and materialism would be in our lives. And in the Gospels, he warns against that. In fact, he says we can't have it both ways. We can't, we can't worship God and also worship stuff. In Matthew 6, 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. And then he goes on to give a specific example, the example of riches. He says you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, John was not saying that money itself is evil or wrong. and In fact, you read throughout the pages of Scripture, especially the book of Proverbs, and you see the, the, the wisdom that comes with being wise with our resources. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to have a bank account or savings or investments. He's not saying that it's wrong to have money He's saying it's wrong if money has you. Don't let it suck you in. And it may, not, it may not just be money or materialism. It can be anything. At the end of the day, this is just one of the examples that Jesus gives, but the, the main truth he was getting at is that we cannot serve two masters. Whatever that master may be. Whether it's money, whether it's fame, whether it's body image, whether it's a power, position, whether we're filled with a people-pleasing nature and that has become our master, or food, or sex, it leads us to some important questions that we will need to ponder together. And yet in Revelation chapter 18, you just, you just go over one more chapter. 
and, and John, again, gets this vision into the future, and it talks about this great prostitute, Babylon, and her ultimate demise. Look what it says. The fancy things that you love so much are gone, they cry, and all of your luxuries and splendor are gone forever, never to be yours again. John is getting this warning, as we should as well, that all this stuff that can just lure us in and attract us and get our eyes off of Jesus, it's going to fade away. It will not last. It might make temporary promises or feel good for the moment, but in the end we'll be left empty-handed and led astray. So it begs a couple reflective questions. Part of our vision as a church is to grow deeper over these next few years together, like never before. So I want to ask a couple grow deeper questions that we should really give serious thought to. Number one, is my ultimate hope in the world to come? Or is it what I can grasp onto right now? Our... Is the focus of our life just grabbing a hold and getting as much as we can and enjoying all that we can right now, here and now, in this life? Or is our ultimate hope in Jesus and in the world to come that is eternal? I mean, this life is a blink, a snap. And if we're putting all of our hope and energy just into the now and the temporary we could be left empty for eternity. And John is receiving this warning. Second question, is Jesus my master? Or am I being mastered by something that is fleeting and will never deliver on its promises? Remember, Jesus said you can't serve two masters. And it's, it's what John was being warned about in the book of Revelation chapter 17. You, you, we can't have it both ways. Just like Mordecai and August Landmesser, at some point we're going to have to make a choice. What are we going to believe? Who are we going to stand for? And where where our loyalty ultimately lie? Well, as we read on in chapter 17, the symbolism just gets more and more profound. In fact, in in verse 9, the angel says to John, This calls for a man of understanding, and I'm not sure that I'm that man. (laughs) And he gives all these descriptions throughout chapter 17 and into 18. Remember, we said at the beginning of our study of Revelation that John is writing as as a pastor to encourage and comfort. He's writing as a theologian to help us understand, but he was also writing as a poet. And he uses symbolism and imagery. And while we can't spend all our time deducing exactly what each symbol means for certain. We need to stay above and know that the overriding theme of Revelation is that Jesus is in control and that Jesus ultimately will win. But I think that one of my favorite Bible teachers, Chuck Swindoll, does an incredible job of of pointing to some of what this symbolism could be meaning. For instance, we already talked about the great prostitute. Chuck Swindoll says, in addition to its desires to seduce us, it is also the source of all false economies, governments, and religions that draw its inspiration from pride, 
and self-sufficiency. That's Babylon. That's this prostitute luring people in. The many waters uh, is probably referencing nations and people groups from around the globe that are under the influence of this false system. In, in verses 3, 8, and then 11 through 14, it talks about the beast. The beast is, is the Antichrist who is the imitation of Jesus. He's the ruler of this worldwide empire and also the object of anti-God worship. Chuck Swindoll goes on to explain that the seven heads that are mentioned in chapter 17, though much debated, he believes that they may represent the world empires that are in opposition to God and his people. And then seven mountains are represented. You see the number seven coming up time and time again throughout the book of Revelation. And it says that ancient, he believes that ancient Rome, since it was built on seven hills, may be what, what's being referenced in this apocalyptic vision that John is receiving. And Rome represented this, the city of God in opposition to, or the city of man in opposition to the city of God. Again, all the world system and mankind's self-sufficiency. He talks about the eighth king referencing the Antichrist, who's one of the preceding kings. And then the ten horns that are mentioned in um, a couple different places may, may refer to the ten political powers that will come together to unite to empower the Antichrist, turning their authority over to him. And we read about this in the book of Revelation and specifically in this chapter. And Jesus wants us to be aware and ready, but to understand something really, really important. And the Apostle Paul wrote about it in Ephesians chapter 6. He said, remember, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. It is so easy to consider other people the enemy. But what we need to remember as followers of Jesus is that underneath it all, yes, the enemy may be using certain people, but our ultimate enemy is not the people themselves. Our ultimate enemy is the one who comes to kill and steal and destroy. The enemy of our souls, Satan himself. He says, remember, we're not wrestling. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. So we can't fight in that way, he says, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. The fight that we have to fight is one that we fight on our knees and with the truth of God's word. And we hold on to and we pray, God, give me faith. Give me faith to continue to trust you, to stand against to not be lured in to a system that is opposed to you, that seeks to, seeks to pull me away from who you are and all your goodness. At the end of the day, we should not be surprised about all the evil that is lurking out there, and we should not be afraid. Because look at what Revelation 17, at the end of the chapter says, and beginning in verse 13, it says, they... It's referring to all these world powers, these evil systems that are in place, these world leaders that will be in place. He says they will all agree to give him, that is the Antichrist, their power and authority. 
Look at verse 14. Together they will go to war against the Lamb. There will be a vicious battle against Jesus and his people. But I love the end of verse 14. Together they will go to war against the Lamb. Read it. But the Lamb will defeat them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And look at this. And it says, and his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. John is gaining this vision, and it is to warn us of the seductive allure of a world system that is all about us and our flesh and seeks to pull us away, to, 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 to draw our eyes away from Jesus, the one that died and gave his life for us, to be seduced into fame or riches or power. But he's reminding us that it will not last and that we, like Mordecai, and we, like August Landmesser, we are called to make our stand and to remain faithful. And we can do it because Jesus has been faithful. And because Jesus will be victorious, you and I can have the victory. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love and your faithfulness. God, I pray that you would help us to follow hard after you, even when it is hard. In Christ's name we pray together. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of your Sunday.